Chapter 2 of The Brighton Boys in the Radio Service. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Clifton. The Brighton Boys in the Radio Service by James R. Driscoll. Chapter 2 Into the Service A Spy. A brilliant October morning was just breaking when a final bump of the train ended the none-too-musical snoring of Slim Goodwin, and he came to a sitting posture, his first yawn almost instantly, to give way to an exclamation of surprise. It was strange scenery he was gazing upon, and for the moment he had forgotten where he was. The grinning faces of Joe and Jerry, whom he had awakened half an hour before with the sawmill-sleeping serenade, brought him to a realization of his surroundings. "'Where are we?' he asked, now fully awake. "'I imagine it's Philadelphia,' answered Joe, "'although I've never been there.' "'Well, let's climb out and see,' was a suggestion from Jerry, which found ready response from the other two, and a moment later, while half the passengers were still asleep, they were investigating the mysteries of Washington Avenue near Broad Street in the Quaker City. Strings of freight cars were stretched out on the sidings, and either side of the railroad yard was flanked by large manufacturing buildings, which already were showing preliminary signs of industrial activity. "'You are enlisted men, sirs?' queried a deep voice just behind them, and all three turned, somewhat startled to find they were not alone. They faced a young giant of a fellow, who wore the khaki uniform of Uncle Sam, with the sergeant's stripes upon his sleeve. He was unable wholly to suppress a smile as Slim came to a difficult and not entirely regulation salute. "'We are,' answered Joe. "'We just stepped off that train to get a breath of fresh air and to learn where we were.' "'No harm done,' the sergeant responded in a friendly tone. "'You are in Philadelphia, and the only restriction upon you now is that you are not to stroll too far away. "'We leave here in a short while for the Navy Yard, where mess will be served.' "'Mess? That's breakfast, ain't isn't it?' asked Slim anxiously. "'Yes,' the sergeant replied, "'and a good one, too.' Each boy touched his cap respectfully as the non-commissioned officer turned to return to the train. "'Hope we have sausage,' said Jerry in an undertone. "'But I'm hungry enough to eat anything they give me.' "'Same with me,' Slim added in melancholy tones. "'But I guess I'll have to diet some until I'm certain and solidified in the service.' At that instant the shrill blast of a whistle brought their attention back to the train, where the sergeant was signaling them to return. Three automobiles had arrived, and into these our three friends and the other fifteen recently enlisted men climbed for the trip to League Island, where is located one of the nation's largest and most important navy yards. Down wide, asphalted Broad Street the party sped, past solid rows of handsome dwellings, and then across a stretch of beautiful park that once was a mosquito-ridden marshland, and to the gates of the navy yard. Here the detachment marines on guard gave the boys their first close association with the spirit of war. As they swung through the gates, a virtual wonderland of the machinery of sea battles greeted their eyes. Powerful battleships, lithe and speedy cruisers, spider-like destroyers, tremendous colliers capable of carrying thousands of tons of coal to the fleets at sea, and in the distance a transport waiting to take on its human freight of Uncle Sam's fighters for foreign battlefields. On the parade ground, several companies of marines were going through maneuvers, while on every ship blue jackets were engaged in various tasks. 
and activities were in full sway in the many large manufacturing buildings at the lower end of the yard near the waterfront it was a scene to inspire the lads with a full appreciation of the great military and naval service of which they were to become a part and in their patriotic enthusiasm they forgot even their healthy young appetites mess was in one of the big barracks where they mingled with hundreds of others some of whom were raw rookies like themselves others of longer experience and some of previous experience in haiti and elsewhere the big sergeant whose name they learned was martin brought the entire eighteen together immediately after the meal and they joined a score of others who had arrived a few days before all were then marched to another building where their instructions began and they were informed that before night they would be uniformed this was welcome information indeed to get into the uniform of uncle sam every young man in the group breathed a little deeper and drew himself up a little straighter at the thought we will not trace joe jerry and slim through their initial instruction for it had lasted less than an hour when an orderly hastily entered the room saluted the officer who was acting as instructor and then talked to him for a moment in an undertone the officer's countenance underwent a curious change finally he turned towards the youths before him are there any men here who are already telegraphers he asked instantly joe jerry and the two others arose while slim tried to but had great difficulty getting himself out of the small school-child sort of desk at which he was seated finally he managed it by sliding out sideways the way he had entered instead of attempting a direct upward rise how many of you can use the international code the officer continued thanks to good old burton joe jerry and slim were as familiar with that as they were with the morse american code the other two men resumed their seats sergeant martin had entered the room apparently he was not at all displeased to find the three polite young men whom he had addressed earlier in the day now able to show greater capabilities than the other men in the detachment you are excused from further instruction here at this time the officer announced to the trio you will accompany sergeant martin for further orders and they hurried from the room with the non-com who they instinctively knew was their friend what was this new experience that lay before them they were not long in learning and the information almost carried them beyond the restraints of good discipline and to the indulgent in three ripping good cheers sergeant martin could be a hard taskmaster when it was necessary to be so but like the headmaster of brighton he did not believe in needless red tape nor did he delude himself that the stripes upon his sleeve made him a better man except in official authority than the ones who were none at all he realized the curiosity that must be consuming the three lads and he was not averse to satisfying it selected for service aboard a transport bound for europe he announced briefly thank you sir said joe not entirely able to control the happiness in his voice while slim's excess stomach almost entirely disappeared in the abnormal expansion of his chest jerry could find no dignified way of expressing his great pleasure than by quietly poking slim under the ribs to the entire undoing of that young man's military attitude do we go at once sir inquired joe deferentially probably tomorrow evening said sergeant martin as they arrive at the building housing the captain and staff in charge of the men of the signal corps then stationed at the navy yard it was the busiest office the three boys had ever seen typewriters were clicking telegraph instruments were at work orderlies were hurrying about and every man in the place was engrossed in his own particular task sergeant martin guided them to an inner office 
here they confronted an austere gentleman whose uniform denoted that he was a captain and whose whole bearing bespoke military service the three boys were dumbfounded to learn that he already had their names on a card before him they were getting a new idea of the efficiency of uncle sam's service the captain made numerous notes as he questioned them about their experience general knowledge and extent of their education he eyed slim shrewdly as he inquired whether they thought they might be subject to seasickness young men he said abruptly this country is engaged in the greatest war in all history considering your youth and present lack of experience yours is to be a part of great responsibility you look like capable and courageous young americans and i believe you are i have confidence that you will bear your share of the burdens of war with credit to yourselves and glory to your country with one man of more experience you will be placed in charge of the wireless and other signal apparatus aboard the transport everett leaving within thirty-six hours sergeant martin will now aid you in procuring your uniforms the three boys came to full military salute the captain returned it they swung upon their heels like seasoned soldiers and departed behind their friend the young giant of a sergeant an hour later fully uniformed they were taken to the everett and down into the wonders of the transport's wireless room where they were introduced to second lieutenant gerald mackinson who was to be their superior officer on the perilous trip lieutenant mackinson was a square-jawed young fellow with keen eyes bushy hair and a good breadth of shoulders he had been an electrical engineer prior to entering the service and had gained his promotion three months before strictly upon his merit and knowledge which were the qualities he demanded in others he already had been across three times and he knew the many problems and dangers that would confront them satisfied by his questioning that the three young men who were to accompany him had the stuff in them lieutenant mackinson then began instructing them in the elementaries of the radio it seemed though that that day was destined to be one of interruptions but not however of the sort to be of disadvantage to the three boys from brighton for just as a sudden ending of their instructions in class in the morning had led to their assignments to a transport to start overseas within thirty-six hours so the call now which required lieutenant mackinson's presence elsewhere indirectly led to a new and thrilling experience for the lads i am ordered to report in the repairs to the wireless of another vessel said the lieutenant after perusing the order that a private had brought to him it will require until late tonight to finish inasmuch as this is probably the last night that you lads will spend on land for some time you might as well see a little of the city if you care to but be sure that you are within the gates of the yard before ten o'clock he then gave each of the boys a pass and told them to be aboard the everett not later than half-past ten and departed for the special work to which he had been called wouldn't you like to be a lieutenant though exclaimed joe enthusiastically just imagine being called from ship to ship to help them out of their difficulties and discussing their aspirations and what the future held for them the three young men from brighton went to mess afterward brushed their brand new uniforms of the last possible speck of dust and left the navy yard for a stroll through the southern section of the city founded by william penn how far they walked none of them knew they had turned many corners and their conversation had covered a wide field always however turning upon some military subject when a church clock told out nine times i think we had better return said slim who was beginning to tire under the long day's strain and excitement yes agreed jerry but which way do we go they were in truth lost 
Uniformed as they were, they were ashamed to ask directions, and finally agreed that Joe was right in indicating that they should walk straight southward. Twelve blocks southward they walked, and the damp, marshy atmosphere assured them that they were nearing the river. But their only hope now, as they plodded across desolate and deserted dumps, and even invaded a truck patch or two, was that they would strike a road that led around to the Navy Yard entrance. "'What was that?' Jerry exclaimed in a hoarse whisper, grasping a boy on either side of him by the arm. "'Did you hear?' "'I thought I heard something,' averred Slim, also lowering his voice. "'What did it sound like to you?' "'We're almost upon the river bank," said Joe. "'It was someone rowing, but it sounded to me as though they're using muffled oars.' While the boys stopped to listen, the rowing began again, very slowly, very cautiously, and then there was a muffled splash. At the same instant, a great flashlight to the south began playing first upon the sky, and then, in a slow arc, down the river, and then inland towards themselves. Although they did not quite come within its radius, the boat they had heard was between them and the light. It was a rowboat, evidently heavily laden, for it rowed low in the water and was occupied by one man who was crouching in the bottom as though to avoid discovery. Just as suddenly as it had appeared, the searchlight was obscured, and the blackness of the night was more intense by contrast. "'That light was at the Navy Yard,' said Joe, beginning to peel off his coat. "'Jerry, you're a fast runner. By heading straight in the way I'm looking, you ought to be able to get to the yard in ten minutes. Do it as quickly as you can. Slim will stay here.' By this time Joe had stripped off his shirt and preparing to unlace his shoes. "'And you,' blurted Jerry and Slim, almost at the same instant, but still in guarded tones, "'what are you going to do?' "'I'm as safe as a duck in the water and almost as noiseless,' responded Joe calmly. "'I'm going to swim out there and see what's going on. "'That man out there is a spy.'" End of chapter 2